Amen. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. For the sake of time, I won't read the scriptures. I'll refer to them, so you're going to have to uh, read, flip fast, and listen even faster. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, it says, Wide, broad, spread out, wide and flat is the way that leads to destruction. That word way means takes off. It just takes off and it's leading to destruction. That word destruction means the moment of truth. The moment of realization that's going to come either when Jesus returns in the rapture or when we die. The moment of realization, unfortunately, sadly for so many, when they realize their opportunity for salvation has been missed. And Jesus said, wide is the path that are people that are running in that direction. In verse 14, he says, but narrow. And that word narrow means it is squeezed because of obstacles standing close about. It's squeezed. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And few are those that find it. That word few means puny. A puny amount will find it. Now, who is he talking about? Who is he addressing? May I suggest to you three groups of people here that are in this space here, sadly, which tells you we've got a work to do. First, in this line over here, are those who feel like they've got their ticket punched to heaven. Their mom or their dad told them long time ago, you prayed a prayer and you booked your reservation, and they feel like they're good. But they continue living like the world. They're not living for Jesus. And then you got this group over here. And this group over here in line, they got their get-out-of-hell-free card. Because they prayed a prayer, and they felt like because they prayed a prayer, prayed a prayer because they heard a message about how painful and agonizing hell is. So they prayed a prayer to avoid hell. That's not the reason to pray a prayer to receive Jesus. You pray because you want to serve him for the rest of your life. Now, I can give you a two-minute message on hell, fire, and brimstone. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3, it refers to hell, Gehenna, as a bottomless pit. Do you know what that means? There are two physical properties that we rely on every single day that will not be in hell. Number one is light. We, were, we were rely on sunlight or light produced by electricity. In hell, there is no light. You cannot see the hand in front of your face. Second of all, solid. We rely on solid, something to lean against, something to sit on, something to rest upon something to prop our foot up on. You're relying on solid as we speak right now, which is totally opposite of uh, biblical days, because in biblical days, the teacher sat and y'all stood. So y'all got it good. And see, this, so when you figure there's no solid, and there's no light, and you throw in the torment, 
the pain, the agonizing torment, and you're just floating around in this abyss in agonizing pain, maggots in the works, as we see in the story of Rich Man and Lazarus. And then there's a couple of emotional properties that we rely on that are not in hell. Number one is rest. There's no rest in hell. And second, hope. When someone's been in hell for a thousand years, they will still realize there is no hope for it ever changing. You have a tough task, maybe a job, a rough day at the work, or you have a procedure, a medical procedure that's going to be painful that you got to go through. But at least you have the hope that knowing on the other side, there's relief. In hell, there is none. So while they may not apply to you, if you're like me, it applies to people we love, that we work with every day, and we've got a job to do. And in the middle, sad to say, we've got the seeker-friendly church of today in this social media age. Social media is full with presenting an image. People coming into church, which is good, fellowshipping, which is good, but they're not getting the message. We got a job to do. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Jesus says, Many on that day, be it the day of the rapture or the day we die, whichever comes first, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, which means they have some knowledge of who he is. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but I have to say, sorry I didn't know you because only access is permitted to those who persist in doing the will of my Father. In verse 22, it says, people who have been in church for so many years will come to him and say, did I not prophesy in your name? Which means preach. So it could be some preachers. And it says, did I not cast out devils in your name and did I not perform miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, I'm sorry. I never knew you. Now, if that applies to people who are performing miracles, preaching the word, and casting out devils, what does it mean for those who are just sitting in a pew doing nothing? And he says, narrow is the way that leads to life. Picture an hourglass, hourglass if you will. You've got this wide open space, and it funnels through this narrow way that opens up on the other side. And this is what Jesus preached. This is what Jesus preached. He preached the kingdom of God. The cross was the means to the end. Our salvation is the means to the end. It's not the end. It's just the start. But he preached the kingdom. Now what is the kingdom? Let me simplify it for you. In the context of presence, the kingdom is the ability to wield dominion over your circumstances. That's what the kingdom is. Jesus preached it, and Jesus demonstrated it. The ability to wield dominion over your circumstances. That word wield was given to me by Holy Spirit, and I looked it up. It means, first of all, to handle with ease your circumstances. 
Second of all, it means to exercise influence and authority over your circumstances. And thirdly, it means to have at your command. You can tell your circumstances. Get underneath my feet. But the key is, it must be in the context of presence. Because Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is in Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit encompasses the kingdom. The kingdom is enveloped around by Holy Spirit. I like to refer to him as, and toward his manifestations, as presence. So if we're not in presence, if we're not enjoying his presence, if we're not living in his presence, if we're not constantly aware of his presence, then how are we ever going to wield dominion over our circumstances? In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 2, John came saying, the ability to wield dominion over your circumstances is approaching, so repent. Jesus came right behind him in Matthew 4, 17 and says, repent, the same message, for the ability to wield dominion over your circumstances is now accessible. It's here. In verse 23, it says, Jesus went about in the cities and villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the ability to wield dominion over your circumstances, and then he demonstrated it by healing all matters of sickness and disease. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28, he says, If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, the kingdom has come upon you. He relates the Spirit of God with the kingdom. But he didn't keep it for himself. In Matthew chapter 10, he sent the disciples out. And he said, As you go, preach the kingdom. He didn't say preach me. Jesus only preached born again one time to Nicodemus who heard him speak about the kingdom, and he wanted to know. And when he asked him, well, how do I get into this kingdom? Then he showed him the door. Jesus preached the kingdom. And when people inquired, then he said, I am the door in John 10, 9. We must be about our Father's business, doing just what Jesus did, preaching the message of the kingdom that you can wield control over your circumstances. And when they say how? Here's the door. Jesus said, don't preach me, preach the kingdom. And then he gave them power to demonstrate it. And they were successful because they came back and it went to their heads and they started arguing over who was the greatest. Then that was before his resurrection. And then after his resurrection in Acts 1 verse 3, it says that Jesus spent a period of 40 days appearing to the disciples, if I understand correctly, at least 11 times explaining to them insights into the mysteries and the secrets of this kingdom. And in Matthew 13, 11, he says, To you, talking about them and to us, to you has been given the insight into the secrets and the mysteries of this kingdom. So our job on a daily basis is in the context of presence to have that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we gain insight into the mysteries of how to wield dominion over our circumstances, which is out here. That's our job. If I have time, I'll share with you a couple of them that I've discovered. But let me move on for the sake of time. 
In John chapter 3 and verse 3, when Nicodemus inquired, Jesus told him, he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. He didn't say enter. He said see. I can stand right here and look through, those, look that, through that window right there, and I can see the parking lot. But I am not in the parking lot. I'm not living in the parking lot. I can see it, but I'm not living in it. So how do we live in it? How do we enter it? First of all, it says we must repent. Must repent. That was John's uh, first word. He spoke in his message. Likewise, Jesus's. Repent. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 in Peter's first message, he said, Repent and be baptized and receive the gift of Holy Spirit because in Holy Spirit encompasses the kingdom. Repent, which is not what we mean, not what we understand. Repent is not feeling sorry. That's remorse. That's what Judas felt in Matthew 27, 3. That word in Greek is metamelomai. But what Jesus said was metanoia, which means to change the way you think, believe, and live. All three. Change the way you think, change what you believe, and change the way you live. And he says, repent and be baptized. Now, that word baptize is not exactly what you and I understand it to be. We automatically think a word of baptism was just significant. It's a ritual in the church. But in that day, that word baptizo meant this. It was the act of taking a garment and putting it into a vat of dye and leaving it in that dye long enough to take on the nature of that dye so when it came up, it showed new colors. And it never returned to its original color. Now, this may get a little soiled at times, because we mess up every now and then, because we live in a corrupt, fallen world, and we need to be laundered by the washing of the water by the Word. But we never return to the old color. We never return to that old color. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Peter went on to say, Repent and be converted, so that your sins may be blotted out, canceled, obliterated and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and from times of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. Lord. That word refreshing means recovery of your breath as we were singing about. It's your breath in my lungs. It's the cooling breeze that was referred to in Genesis when Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day. But it says repent and be converted. That means do a 180. See, so many people, and let me, let me back this up. I would say most, if not everyone, or most everyone, has been convicted of their sin by Holy Spirit. Because John 16, 8 says he comes to convict the world of sin. Many, those in the body of Christ, have been convinced of who Jesus is. But few have been converted. And that's the few that Jesus is referring to who will enter by this narrow gate even while we're still here on earth and enjoy this kingdom, the ability to wield dominion 
over our circumstances. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, talking about believers, true believers, it says those versus non-believers, the ones who claim to have their ticket punch. It says if one continues sinning, that means habitually, I'm talking about on occasion when you mess up and have a weak moment. I'm talking about habitually sinning. He has not seen with discernment, nor has he known him by intimate experience. That's verse 6 of 1 John chapter 3 in the Passion Translation. And I use the Passion Translation quite often because Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Even though the New Testament's translated in Greek, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. So a lot of times when I'm giving you these word studies, it's what is, what is the definition in the Aramaic, which is probably what Jesus spoke most of the time. Now, <clears throat> so we have to repent. Change the way we think, believe, and, and, and live. Then, second of all, we must receive. We must receive. Now, when we say receive, receive the kingdom. There are two words that's used in the Greek language that are root words. And then prefixes are attached to them. And then they're used in various occasions to uh, relay different points. The first is dekomahi, okay? And the second is lambano. Dekomahi has the connotation of a warm reception, just like you received at the door from the gentlemen, the ushers. They received you into this building. They welcomed you into this building. Many people have done that with Jesus. I welcome you into my life because I want you to meet my need. But lambano is used most often in the context of receiving the gift of Holy Spirit. Even in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when it talks about receiving the gift of Holy Spirit in Acts 2.38, that word receive is lambano. Lambano means to receive, to embrace tightly, claim it as you own, claim it as your own, and implement it in a daily life. So, I can decomahi guest into my home during the holidays. I open the door, and I welcome them in, shake their hand, give them a hug, give them a kind greeting, and welcome in to my life. But then I can lambano, as in, I have an iPhone, an iPhone 7. If someone was to, I'm not saying they should, I'm just using a suggestion. If someone was to hand me an iPhone 12 or whatever the latest is, with all the bells and whistles, I would receive that because my phone is what I use more than anything else during the day. I would receive it into my life, embrace it as my own, personalize it like I do my current one, and use it in everyday life. And that's what we're supposed to do. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, Jesus says, Unless you receive dekomahi, the kingdom is a little child. In Aramaic, he most likely said, as a wounded lamb. Now, think about a wounded lamb. The shepherd is his responsibility to guide all the sheep to pasture. Lead them beside still waters. Take them to green pastures to feed. 
But for that wounded lamb, it's the connotation of taking him in his arms. And he feeds that lamb out of the palm of his hand, reaches into the stream. That's the way we receive the kingdom. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, Jesus said, from the moment John burst on the scene, the realm of this kingdom has been accessible and the passionate are pressing their way into it. The passionate. The passionate. You know passion wears thin when you have to self-motivate yourself? When you have to self-motivate yourself to get to church, to read your word, to pray, to worship, when you have to motivate yourself to do it, you've lost your passion. And the passion is found in presence. And thirdly, which I don't have time to explain, and that is we must relinquish our rights in general to do as we please. We must relinquish our rights to do as we please. Now, what are some evidences that we have received this kingdom? Again, back in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9, again, quoting from the Passion Passion Translation, it says, the one who, of course, has received the kingdom will refuse to continue sinning habitually because he realizes that God's seed is in him. That word seed is sperma. God's seed, his sperma, is in him. Is in him. Second Peter 1.4, Peter refers to it by calling it partakers of the divine nature. That word nature is phusis in the Greek, which has to do with germinating, with growing. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says that I travail with you over you in prayer that Christ be formed in you. It's a growing process. It's a growing process. Let me give you another example of the growing process. For those who are already in the kingdom, it's like pickling. It's like pickling. For a cucumber to become a pickle, a cucumber must be dipped down into hot water to soften the skin. That's where many in the church are at right now. Your skin is being softened. But then, after the skin is softened, the cucumber is lifted up and dipped into the vinegar to stay for a while till it takes on the nature of what it's being dipped in. And it stays there, which has to do with soaking in presence and soaking in the Word. Soaking in presence and soaking in the Word. And as we do, we realize, I have this divine nature inside of me. I refuse to continue sinning. And it says he is even unable to do so in the Passion Translation. One who's taken on this kingdom, who's embraced the kingdom, he will not only refuse to continue sinning, but he'll find himself unable to because he realizes he's been fathered by God himself. The divine nature is in. The divine nature is within. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, Jesus told the disciples, he said, when I got to go away, but the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to convict the world 
which that word world is cosmos, which refers to every field, system, or industry. He said, I convict the world of sin. That word sin is singular, which refers to the sin nature. So he's convicting the world of sin. So what does he convict a believer of? Of your righteousness and of your divine nature. Of your righteousness in that when you start to get a little weak and you start to slip up, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, 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 wait one second. I made you righteous. Let's get back on track. Let's redirect your focus. Whoa, 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 whoa. May I remind you that I fathered you and that my seed, my sperma seed, my DNA is in you. Let's get back on track and get refocused. Righteousness is not a matter of morality. Righteousness is the refusal to settle for inferior realities. Sickness is an inferior reality. I refuse to settle for it. I will wield kingdom dominion over that sickness. Fear is an inferior reality. So I refuse to succumb to fear because it's an inferior reality. My righteousness will not let me do it. I will wield kingdom influence over that fear that's trying to attack me. Lack is an inferior reality. And the peace that you walk in is the evidence of the presence that subdues any opposition to this dominion. And I'm not talking about peace as an Irene peace, which is the absence of noise, absence of chaos. I'm talking about shalom peace, the presence of the Prince of Peace. That's what we're supposed to walk in. And in doing so, we can wield dominion. We can wield dominion over our circumstances. We can wield dominion over our circumstances. Let me give you just a few. And again, to you has been given insights into the mysteries and the secrets of this kingdom. So my goal has been to tap into some of these secrets. Again, an inferior reality comes in the area of finances. So you need a revelation on tithing, perhaps? Where does it, where have you ever, have you ever heard the phrase armed theft? No. You've heard of armed robbery. What's the difference? Theft takes place when you're not home. Robbery takes place when you're there. Malachi 3, Jesus says, will a man rob God? Because just like with the widow's might, he's watching to see whether or not we're tithing. Are we tithing on our net or our gross? Are we tithing to the penny? Are we giving above and beyond our tithe? He's watching how we give. The secret and the mystery that I've discovered is the concept of transferring into the kingdom. When I take my tithe check and I go to put it in that box, just as Jesus did the loaves and fishes, I lift it up in the air and I declare 
I transfer this over into the kingdom because the smallest amount in the kingdom is greater than any abundance in the world because he can do wonders with loaves and fishes. So I hold it up and I transfer it into your kingdom for your glory and honor and the advancement of your kingdom through this ministry. And I bring it back down for divine math to kick in, for the multiplication and meeting every need that I have. Concerning sickness, the secret, the mystery, is communion. Take communion. Take communion. Not saying it boastfully, but I do it on a daily basis. I do it on a daily basis. And especially if I ever feel a symptom coming on my body. But on a daily basis, and I make a declaration to speak the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus over my body and every member of our family. When it comes to what we all have opportunities to deal with on a daily basis, offense. Offense comes from unfulfilled expectations. But the secret and the mystery is to just what Jesus said in Luke 17, beware, offenses will go try and come. But I made a determination a long time ago you're not going to hurt my feelings. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You can walk out of here and you can pass the word around. Somebody can say, that's the worst message I ever heard. You're not going to hurt my feelings. And we can preach. I can get up here and preach till I'm blue in the face. But if I can't wield dominion over my own flesh then the gospel I preach to you is in vain. I must wield dominion over my impulses, over my flesh, over my appetites, and if I can't do that, then the message I preach to you is in vain. Now, there may be some of you in here, you can say, hey, being honest, my daily nature is to keep sinning. You may say, I sinned as if it's like second nature. If that's the case, that is your nature. The kingdom is accessible today for you to receive the kingdom, receive his sperma DNA, and receive the kingdom. Receive the kingdom. Receive the kingdom right now. You don't need me to lay hands on you. You don't need to come up front. You know who understood kingdom more than anybody else in the Bible? That just rocked Jesus' boat, that stopped him in his tracks, the centurion, a pagan centurion. Because the centurion understood that when I speak to those under me, they hear my voice, but they also hear Caesar's. So he was saying, Jesus, when you speak, you speak with authority. And when you speak, heaven backs up what you say. So all I have to say right now, because see, the authority for this pulpit right here lies with him. So he entrusted it to me for this day. So he, by God, inspiration of God, has given me the opportunity and authority to administer it to you. So all you have to do is receive.
If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that divine nature is not in you, just simply say, Dear Jesus, I receive you. You're the Son of God. I believe you came and you died for me. And on the third day, you rose again. Come into my life. I confess you now as my Lord and Savior. It's that simple. Now, for those who are already born again, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his DNA, his divine nature is in you, then all you have to do to receive the kingdom is, first of all, what circumstance are you dealing with right now? That you're living under that circumstance. Is it sickness? Is it lack? Is it fear? You can receive the kingdom. It's my job in, it, to, at, it's my job in general, at my job specifically, to demonstrate to those kids the kingdom life. They comment all the time, and they'll, they'll say, Mr. Charlie, how come you never miss school because you're sick? You just opened up the door. <laughs> I'm not being critical of anybody because I understand there are, there are health reasons that you've done because you have loved ones and you have immune systems that are down and, and, and weak and stuff like that. But they saw that I refused to wear a mask. Absolutely refused. And they said, why? I've had parents ask me why. And my response as a secret and a mystery to the kingdom was to answer them and say, hey, I'm of another kingdom. I'm of another kingdom. And I exercise, exercise dominion over this. Corona is an inferior reality. And it will not affect me, and it will not affect my family in Jesus' name. So if there's any circumstance you're dealing with right now, just receive. Just take a moment and receive. You may have to do as an act of faith, just do a posture. Just lift your hands and just say, I receive. Holy Spirit, you encompass the kingdom. And I need you and your presence to come into my life right now. Take control. Teach me the secrets and the mysteries of how to wield dominion over this circumstance I'm dealing with. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I give you a word of caution before I hand it back over to Pastor. A miracle has taken place. It's 1028. I give, you, I give you a word of caution. Matthew 13, 19 says this. You can hear any message preached, and the devil might just leave you alone. But if you hear a message on the kingdom, the adversary himself comes to steal and pluck it away. So be on guard. Because the moment you walk out that door, you're going to be tested. Because every word must be tested. So be on guard. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world.